Alrighty, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. Let's go on over to Matthew 16 together. The Bible is a book that has sayings. The Lord Jesus Christ said that, which we're going to point out here shortly. And he said that, you know, whosoever would obey, would do the sayings, his sayings, that that person would have... uh, would be building upon a rock, a solid life in Christ, okay? So the Bible has sayings. And, of course, the counterfeit of that would be just human sayings or God sayings that had been changed, altered, watered down, paraphrased, etc. In Matthew 16, the Lord is talking to the disciples. He's helping them. Um... In the beginning of this passage, in chapter 16, verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. So the disciples for these years of his ministry are watching how he deals with people. I am continually amazed, slightly or more than slightly disappointed in people and preachers and teachers who act like If they had been there, or maybe you're this way, if you had been there, you would have understood what he was saying. And and it's the height of pride in reality, but a lot of it's just plain old ignorance in this sense. We have this completed book, and we haven't all been able to look back. In fact, many of the sayings in your Bible, uh, many of the statements are because they looked back and saw it fulfilled. So if anything proves the idea that hindsight is twenty twenty. it's that. When the Lord had these men write the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he had them write them from the standpoint of standing at a certain spot looking back. Okay? And so from standing looking back, they would weave statements throughout. They'll be talking about something and they'll say Simon who would betray him. Well, none of them knew that except the Lord Jesus. So we should be humble enough to know that we would not have any more, and I think I'd have a lot less insight than the uh, the men who became apostles did, the disciples, uh, on, the, on that moment in that moment. And so in the passage, he's dealing with them. And then in verse 6, verse 5 rather, when his disciples come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And so he has to tell them how he's talking about their doctrine. Okay? And in verse, verse 12, it says he was telling them, Beware, not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine. And then we get into a passage that is fairly well known amongst preaching and teaching because of so many things that have been built upon it, conjectured upon it. And I want to just put forth a thought today in our study that might just help you understand how simple our Bible can be, as in a good way. We're going to read verses 13 down to 20. Now watch. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, 
Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? One of the Sunday school classes taught recently, I pointed out, I said, the idea was, who is the Lord to you? But he starts off by leading them and saying, Whom do men say that I, now watch, he calls himself the Son of God, am? Would you understand something? If you take statements out of context, you're going to miss it. Uh, When they said in John 1, We have found him, of whom, you know, the scriptures say, Yeah, they did find him. You say, Well, he found them. That's true, but they found him because they were looking for him. Okay? Both things are true. It's never just one or the other, hardly ever with God. It's both statements are true. And God would not have recorded those men if if they were being braggadocious and lying about it because they weren't. That's not how he did it. So he says, I, the Son of God, am. They said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say, some, Elias. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So people were trying to figure out who is Jesus really. Jesus, this, you know, as they called him, the son of Joseph. Who is he? Some would thought it was, you know, John the Baptist, come back up and all that kind of stuff. He saith unto them, ready? He's leading them to some thought. But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, this is a famous, well-known confession that is... Amazing. Thou art the Christ, the Son, capital S in your text, of the living God. Now this is a major profession of faith. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Notice that if you go over, you find out over there previously that uh, his name was Simon Barjona, son of Jonas. He also had, had, had surnamed him Peter. Uh, When you go look it up in your Bible, he surnamed James and John the sons of thunder, Boanerges. So it was like putting it on there to distinguish him from other Simons, from other Jameses and Johns and Marks and Lukes and Bobs and Bills, okay? And so he says to him, flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter. He did call him Peter before. Okay? And your Bible says, John 1.42, he called him Peter, being interpreted a stone. And it's about here that people go all crazy. Now, they partly go all crazy because the Roman Catholic Church has taken a whole doctrine, taken a whole cult, and built it upon saying that Simon Peter is the rock of the passage we're about to read. He said, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say also unto thee, thou art Peter. And then he says, and upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. He wanted them to, those other people to witness it themselves and come to that conclusion. Now I just want you to picture with me something about this statement. And Matthew's account is unique 
from the other ones. Mark 8 has it. Luke 9 has it. Matthew's is unique because it has the whole statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now you will remember that the four gospel accounts basically have themes. Matthew, is a, he presents him as a king. Okay? The coming Messiah king. Mark presents him as a servant. Luke presents him as the son of man. And John presents him as the son of God. So we're going to go look at a verse over in John. Okay? Go with me over to John chapter 20. But hold your place here. Because I want to... The idea is the rock of Matthew 16. What is going on here? Now, if we take what he said in context and we don't try to combat, undo, fight with a cult that took Simon Peter and made made him something he wasn't, if we don't do that, for example. But if we let the Scripture speak, there's a truth here that is being missed, okay? And notice what this is. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to read two verses, 30 and 31. I'm sorry, John. John 20, 30 and 31. Okay, you got it? And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now look at verse 31 with me. But these are written. Ready? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, doesn't that sound very familiar? That's Simon Peter's confession over in Matthew 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, ready, that believing you might have life through His name. The rock in the direct context of Matthew 16 is Simon Peter's confession of faith. It is the rock. It says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Do you know what builds the church of God? The church of God is believers, not an institution, okay? Not a building, an edifice. It's believers. Believers come by way of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You see, when we take it in context, it gives us a greater picture of how important it is to preach the gospel as God gave it to us. So Simon Peter, you know, just do this for a minute. Pretend that God is all wise. And I'm being tongue-in-cheek because He is all wise. Uh, Pretend that God cares about the man on the street. And ask yourself if He would make you need an ancient text and an ancient lexicon in order to understand his book or has he always for 2,000 years since he opened the gospel to the Gentile world that is those who are not of Israel the Jews as in believing Jews not just a geopolitical nation has he not always put it into the language that was the most common language on earth right now that most common language has been for 400 years English it is English you go anywhere in the world, and, if, and for the most part, not over 90% of the time, if they're trying to learn a second language, it's English. It's the trade language of the world. Someone says, well, there's, a, there's more people that speak Chinese. There is, and they're all locked in that 
part of the world, but there's not people running around trying to learn Chinese. It's not the trade language. It's English. So would God make it where you had to go look up some obscure version? Now listen, some of us have had the training. We've had the years of Greek and, and we've had Hebrew and we, we've tutored it, taught it. And the more we did, the more it convinced us that we have a final authority in our English King James Bible. Why? Because we can trust those words. So he takes Simon Peter and he surnames him, John chapter 1, verse 4, two, Peter. And he says, which being interpreted is a stone. He was Cephas. And someone says, well, when that has to mean sand. He turned him into stone. Okay, fine. He make him more stable. <laughs> he says, <clears throat> do you get it that people, they try to get a lot out of something that you can get a lot out of the context. Simon Peter needed to get himself on the rock, Jesus Christ, and get his feet on it, and then he wouldn't be impetuous as much at all, and then things would change, okay? You take Simon Peter, you say, well, be interpreted Cephas as a stone. That's right. Uh, for example, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, go to Galatians 2 for a minute. Let's just do that. Hang a right, go to Galatians 2. It'll still be fairly short this morning, this devotion. Galatians chapter 2. And get the picture. People struggle to explain things away, first of all, because they're trying to undo something like, say, the Roman Catholic Church. And they're trying to undo uh, somebody that, that, that takes all this stuff and kind of weaves it together. You don't need to. If you'll let the Bible stand as it is. Now, you might read your Bible through 10 times or 20 or 30, 40, 50. Many of us have read through way, way many more times than that. Because we want to know what the book says. And we never get tired of eating it. You know, on a basic cycle of life, even if you like variety of food, you're going to repeat the same kind of food every so often. And some people, of course, they get in kind of a rut, eat only one kind of food. That's fine. But this Bible is your food as a child of God. It's your bread. It's your water. It's your milk. It's honey. It's all those things. So... The more you read it, the more you do, then what happens is the more it starts just weaving itself together because the Holy Spirit will just take it and weave it in your heart and mind. Now watch. Verse 9. When James, Cephas, and John... Who was Cephas? Simon Peter. When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. So they were pillars. Peter, James, and John. Here he said, James, Peter, and John. And so we find that they were pillars. They were like stones in there, something that they could be settled upon. Now, look at Matthew 7 with me. Hopefully you left something right there in Matthew 16. And you just go back a couple pages, Matthew 7. I'm trying to paint a picture in your mind. I'm not going to even run all the references. You can do this yourself if you really want to learn your Bible a little bit. But if you're doing that five Psalms a day like so many of us do, we read the book of Psalms every month, you just take a pencil, a highlighter. Highlighters are good. That way if you don't underline straight, it doesn't drive you crazy next time through. It's just highlighted. <coughs> you highlight where every time you see David and the psalmists, 
the writers referring to God as a rock. Okay? He's, he's talking about God being his rock. In Matthew 7, pick it up around verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Okay? Someone says they're all worried. You know, he's, we're worried that people will think that the church was built on Simon Peter. Forget the cults. Forget the worldwide one, you know, called the Roman Catholic Church. Forget that. The Lord Jesus Christ. You're in Matthew. I picked some of these out of Matthew on purpose. Look at Matthew 21. Matthew 21. The Lord Jesus Christ is also called the stone. It says John 1.42 that Simon Peter, which by interpretation is called a stone, he named him Peter and said that means a, a, a stone. But Matthew 21, Matthew 21, verse 42. Down through here, look with me. Verse 42. Did ye, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? Uh, verse 44. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall will grind him to powder. That is a great gospel statement. If we'll fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, yes, it'll break our will, it'll break our, our heart, so to speak, our spirit, and then He will raise us up and heal us. But if we wait till Judgment Day and that rock falls on you, it'll grind you to powder. This stone. See, we, we need not wrestle with the Scriptures to our own destruction, as He writes in another place. Okay, We need not do that. If we will just let God be who He is. For example, He's quoting Psalm 118.22, referring to it, where it says, The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. They would take a stone and they would place it, and it would become like the pin you set when you're building a foundation on a house. Any of you have ever done that? When we would do that, we'd pick a spot where it's supposed to be, Usually they'd bring actual surveyors in. They'd, they'd stick a pin where the a certain corner of the house, northeast, for example, is supposed to be. Then you come in and you use that pin and you set your angles and everything based off of it. It's the head of the corner. It's what everything is built around and built upon. Okay? So he's called there the stone. So we, we know by Scripture that we don't have to be worried that we're going to get in any way, shape, or form con confused by who is the stone and who's a stone. Uh, it would be, make all the sense in the world if James and John and Peter are supposed to be pillars, something that something's built on, a foundation that you build upon, something that you rely upon and you use it for your measuring. That makes all the sense in the world. He'd be a stone. When Daniel is given his thing. It says, verse 45, For as much as thou sawest the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, etc., etc. Well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. So, he is the Christ. Simon Peter's confession, his confession is what God is using, has used, will use, his confession is, is the rock upon which the church is built. 
That's why it's so important. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will bear witness to you how important it is to keep the gospel the gospel. And you may not be able to put it into exact words sometimes. It's not like holding on to, you know, when you do your services or how you do your... This is the rock upon which all faith is built. It's real important. Simon Peter wrote this later. 1 Peter 2.7 Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Verse 8, 1 Peter 2, 8, And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, unto them which stumble at the word, ready? At the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So, it's amazing, it's awesome to know that when we look at this passage, the strength, the foundation the thing upon which Jesus Christ said he wanted to build his church and the gates of hell can't prevail against it is this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and according to John twenty thirty one, that believing you may have life through his name. So the rock is this saying of his, as he said, he that doeth these sayings is building his life upon a rock. It's the saying that leads a person to Jesus Christ. He's both Christ and God. You don't have to divide it up. You don't have to make out a questionnaire to get them saved, okay? But believing in this person, the person who believes in him receives salvation. And that is the rock upon which his church is built, is your salvation. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. For everybody who's gone out and changed it, tweaked it, or oversimplified it, there were people who'd go down, down there in Florida on the beaches of Florida and say, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, okay, you're saved. Well, that's not what this passage teaches and that's not what all the other passages teach because he said, if you fall upon him, you'll be broken. But if you wait and let him fall on him, it'll grind you to powder. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So, maybe put this in your, your spiritual digestion tract. And let it digest in your heart and mind how powerful it is to say, you know, this rock, this rock, and it's so simple it is, but he said, thou art Peter, who just made the confession of faith? In Matthew 16, Simon Peter did. Thou art, Simon, thou art Peter upon this rock. What rock? What he just said. What he also said, Jesus said, look, flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you, Simon. This is a revelation from God that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when, once it's all happened, when they've crucified me, they've buried me, I rose again, I ascended, then you go preach it everywhere you can. And upon that rock, upon that truth, upon that saying, I'm going to build my church. Do you understand what God has done with that saying? that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that whosoever believeth that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, ha has, possesses, is saved already, is, is seated in heaven, 
and goes through this life telling it's the rock upon which it's built. You, you, can't, you don't separate the saying from the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's this saying, it's this truth, this revelation that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you'd asked me who Jesus Christ was all the time I was growing up, before I actually heard Him preached about and talked about and explained from, from a Bible-believing pulpit, I wouldn't have had any idea. And it wasn't until I said, I will, that anything happened. But when you do is when it happens. Is when it happens. Thou art the Christ. It is like a revelation. The light goes on. Amen. So the rock upon which he'll build his church, small r in Matthew 16, 18, is Simon Peter's confession. And that's what we're supposed to build the church on. Not programs. Nothing wrong with having some order in the church. (laughs) Hallelujah. Nothing wrong with having some kind of discipline in the church. Amen. Nothing wrong with having ways in which people connect and and make their friends within within the body of Christ. But that's not upon what will build the church. You build the church on the confession that Jesus Christ Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And believing on Him, you what? You have life through His name. Let that sink in a little bit. This is why it is so, so important, not just to hear the elements of the gospel in people's preaching, but to hear them you, that you can tell they're preaching the gospel in such a way that a lost person will know that these are written, that ye might believe. In other words, you're getting the opportunity Here's an offer. Here's an invitation to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Ready? And that believing, you might have life through His name. The Rock of Matthew 16.